0: This morning, we're going to look at another story. So I'm just going to pray and start. And we will look at this story, which is split over two Sundays. So it's going to be first half today. And then on the second, we're going to continue the second half of the story. All right. So let's pray and prepare our hearts. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this wonderful morning you gave us, Lord. Thank you for reminding us that it is not over, Lord Jesus. You are doing a new thing in our midst, Lord. And we believe, Lord Jesus, we trust you, Lord. And we know that until you say it's over, it's not over. Father, we pray and come with this word into your hands. We pray and ask you, Lord, that you will help us to receive this word, understand it uh, in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't want to use our wisdom, our human wisdom, so to speak, Lord. But we pray your divine revelation. And um, uh, Lord, we want to see the word in the light of uh, what you want us to see we pray this in your precious name lord jesus amen amen so like i mentioned we are looking at unanswered prayers we looked at a woman who was a mother and who came to jesus asking for her two sons to be seated on the left and right and jesus had a very interesting response to that the request wasn't granted um in the way that the mother wanted But uh, James and John, of course, ended up becoming legends. And today we name our children James and John, right? We have a John with us this morning. And um, yeah, so, you know, God, God does work mysteriously. This morning, we are going to look at another interesting passage. And that happens in the upper room. We've all heard of the upper room. I did a mini series during our season of prayer and fasting on different upper room stories. But this is the upper room story the famous upper room where Jesus gathered his disciples on a Thursday evening and uh, he was going to be arrested that night, uh, Friday early morning, and then crucified on a Friday and resurrected on a Sunday. So this is that uh, Thursday um, where uh, all this happens. So they've had their meal, they've had their supper, they have had, um, Jesus has washed their feet, shown them the great extent of his love. And now John tells us an insight. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 14. And uh, this is a very interesting passage of scripture. So it'd be nice if you turn your Bibles and you see what's happening in this story. So firstly, as Jesus is dialoguing with them, Jesus has been already briefing them about what's coming up. He's spoken to them about his suffering and impending death. Now, the disciples must have definitely got nervous, uh, depressed, sad, troubled. And so this is how the chapter opens. This is what Jesus says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, so that, that's a very unified statement. Jesus wants us to believe in God and in him. And uh, why is he saying this? Because obviously their hearts are troubled. So when, you know, God understands our hearts, he understands the condition of our hearts. Right now, there may be many people who are troubled. Troubled with the present troubled about the future and jesus comes and says these same words to us do not let your hearts be troubled why because he is in control we can trust him he is good and he' is faithful hallelujah amen jesus is reassuring the disciples i'm not sure how um, successful he will be because they're still you know still clouding their minds all these doubts but jesus encourages them encourages them then he goes on to say that you know uh, trust me, trust my father. And then he makes that great statement. He says, I'm going away. And uh, one of them asked, you know, can we come with you? Oh, where is the way you're going? We don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The way is not uh, a route. I am the way. And Jesus makes that great statement in verse six, right? He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. And because he's mentioned about the father a few times now in these verses, obviously he wasn't speaking verses, but in his dialogue, suddenly out of the blue, a guy who doesn't speak very often, so it's not Peter, um, you know, it's it's a guy called Philip. And Philip speaks up and he says this, he makes this very odd request. And I'll tell you why it's odd. Verse 8, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the father. And that will be enough for us. This is like now speaking on behalf of the team. Do you see it's twice in that verse. There is us, us. So Philip is saying, you know what? He's not just saying, show me. He's saying us, us, we are, we are 11 of us, right? Judas is gone right now. So he, as soon as the meal got over, he's left. He's into his planning and conniving and scheming things against Jesus. So it's left with 11 plus Jesus. So he's Philip says, you know, we, 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 have a request to make. And Philip is like the spokesperson on behalf of the team. Right. And, uh, I don't know if the, this talk must have happened earlier. Is this something that the disciples have planned? They've thought this through because P- Philip is speaking on behalf of the group. And he says this, he says, Lord, we have a request. You know, we are all troubled. We are so tense. And I think, you know what, what will settle our hearts? what will really put us uh, in our, uh, you know, make us calm is if you show us the Father. Come on, show us the Father and that's enough. Now hold this word enough, okay? Hold this word enough. He says, that is enough. How often have we made such prayers? Haven't we, right? And we, we look at that, how, how we make such prayers, you know, the enough prayers. Do this and that will be enough, Lord. You know, do this and that, 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 that's good enough for us. And we look at how Jesus is going to respond to it next Sunday. So Jesus' response is so important and it's loaded with truth and doctrine and logic. And that's why it deserves uh, an entire morning. So we look at that. But firstly, let's look at, I mean, obviously, I've, I've given it away by saying that this is an unanswered prayer. But I was going to say, build the suspense and say, how is Jesus going to respond? You know how Jesus is going to respond. You have the Bibles in front of you. But let's look at this verse. Firstly, let's look at this request. What exactly is the question? What does Philip have in mind? Now you must understand this request is coming from a Jew. These 11 men are Jews. They are thorough with their scriptures. That's that's what their education was, learning and studying the Old Testament. Besides that, they've been with Jesus for three and a half years. So even if they were poor in their Old Testament doctrine to begin with, in the three and a half years, Jesus has equipped them well enough. And so this is a very strange kind of a request. He is saying, Lord, Show us the father. What is he asking for? Is he asking to see the father in flesh? I don't think so. Because the Jews had a clear understanding that God was a spirit. Jesus said this to the Samaritan woman, right? God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So this was a clearly laid doctrine, which I'm absolutely sure the Jews knew it. And these disciples of Jesus very well knew it. So then the question, uh, we beg to ask the question, what exactly did these disciples have in mind? They knew no one had seen the father ever, ever. And uh, the Old Testament uh, Bible, uh, the the part of the Old Testament, very clearly says no one can see God and die. You know, they cannot see God and live. They, They will die. They will die. And so this was not a death wish by the disciples. The disciples were not saying show us the father and we are willing to die. No, 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 that is not what they're saying. So what are they really saying? Well, they are asking for an experience. What kind of an experience? An Exodus 33 kind of an experience. Now you must understand, you know, to the to the Jews, the old testament was very alive. They recognized Old Testament in the light of what incidents happened. So very often their request were based on God did this can God do it again right that is exactly what God God raised a kingdom called Israel in the days of Israel uh, in the days of David can God bring the same glory days back can we see the rise of another David that's why they kept calling Jesus the son of David the son of David can we see those David days come back Can we see those Abraham days come back? Can we see those Moses days come back? Can God do this? Can God destroy the Romans the way he destroyed the Egyptians? Can God do that? Can he raise a military leader like Joshua? God, can you do that? So this was predominantly, you know, in the Jews mind. God did it. Can God do it again? So this is what they had in mind. Let me tell you what is happening in Exodus 33. Some of us may not exactly know what what happened. So this is the time where God has parted the Red Sea. The entire clan, we're talking about nearly 2 million people, had come out of Egypt and now are in the desert. And God has invited Moses to come up. And Moses is gone for long. It's been nearly 40 days that Moses is on top of the mountain with God. And then this is what happens. As God is giving commands to Moses, the Ten Commandments are coming. God is writing with his fingers on the tablet of stone. All that is happening. And suddenly Moses makes a prayer. Now, mind you, this is also a bold prayer. Exodus 33, verse 18, it says, Then Moses said, I pray to you. I pray, I request you. Show me your glory. (laughs) That must have been like, you know, a bold request. Out of the blue. This is exactly in the same vein that Philip is saying. Same vein. Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. This is, this is all going wrong. I, I'm not sure whether I'm called to lead these people. And uh, this is so depressing. These people keep turning away from you. And uh, I really need something. Give me something, Lord. Can, can, can you show me your glory? And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And you will see my back. So next verse says, you know, this was a bold request. Show me your glory. And this is how God responds. It says, it shall be, this is how it's going to be. While my glory passes by, then I will put you in the cleft of a rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And the Bible tells us then Moses saw the glory of God. But as God walked by, he saw the back of God. So he also didn't see the face of God. He just saw the glory of God. And we understand the impact of it was Moses's face shone. It was so radiant, so radiant that people couldn't look at him. It. It's like, imagine, imagine looking at the sun. No, you, you want to wear glares, right? You wear glasses. So instead of giving 2, two million glasses to everyone, uh, Moses thought of, yeah, let me wear a veil. So we all know Moses wore a veil uh, for a large part of uh, his um, time there. You know, for months probably he wore veil. And slowly, slowly, as the sun from afternoon to evening begins to fade, his glory began to fade. You know, so what Moses wanted to see was God's glory. What God gave him was uh, such an impact that his face was glorious. His face shone of the glory of God just because he had seen uh, the back of God. imagine. You know, what what drama is happening? And now these boys are asking for something similar. They are saying, we want to see the glory. Now, mind you, sometime back, three of them did see Jesus in his glorious transfiguration. You remember that story? But, but towards the end of the story, Jesus tells Peter, James and John who were there with him on the mountain of transfiguration. Mind you, Moses' event happens on the mountain. Jesus' event happens on the mountain. On Moses' event, there is God and Moses. Here, there is God, of course, from up above. There is Jesus, there is Moses, and there is Elijah. And a very interesting, I don't have time to tell you, but Elijah also had a mountain experience with God, where he saw the glory of God. You know that story, right? Yeah, there's there's thunder and there's lightning, there's earthquake. God is not in it. God is in the whisper. So it's very interesting how these Old Testament stories connect. Moses had his experience on the mountain. Elijah had his experience on the mountain. Both come together to give Jesus an experience on the mountain. And now the disciples are like, you know, that kind of thing. They're saying, Lord, can can we see this? And probably James, Peter, and John must have looked at one another and said, he said not to mention because Jesus has said, Til, till I don't get glorified, don't mention about this transfiguration to anyone. Okay? Uh, promise me. And I'm sure the disciples must have promised. That, you know, we won't say that we heard the voice and all that. And we saw these two legends of the Old Testament come alive, you know, really there. And it's an amazing story. But that is something that happened. Jesus was transfigured. And then it was back to normal. You know, it was like something like a dream, but it was a reality. So what exactly is Philip saying? Philip was saying, Lord, give us an experience. Give us an experience, which will then mean that we can live with this experience. If we've seen something like what Moses saw, the glory of God and all his glory, then that's enough. Then we know, we know for sure that, uh, you know, whatever you're saying is true. You are going to the father and this and that. We will believe you only if you show us the experience. That'll be enough for us. That'll be enough. You know, so right now, what he's basically trying to say in gentle words is, all your assurances and promises is not enough. We want something more. No, like how we say in Hindi, or just, just show us something else. Now, firstly, let's let's understand it's not an evil desire. Basically, he is desiring God. Right? And desiring God is a good thing. Right? So we will we will see where what's going wrong. We will see that and that's uh, encapsulated in Jesus' answer. But understand, firstly, the desire to know God up close and personal is not bad not bad, he's saying I, I we we want more of God, we want more of God, and we will see in Jesus' response, how you can have more of God, okay, but here look at what Augustine said, a great great um scholar from the early century augustine from uh, of Hippo, I'm sure you must have heard of him uh, today. he's canonized by the Catholic Church, Saint Augustine, but we'll still call him Augustine. It says, because God has made us for himself. Because God has made us for himself. Our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Hallelujah. What a beautiful statement that is. You know? Every human being longs for God. There is a, a wakened place in our hearts that God has placed. Every human being, mind you. And we keep searching. We keep searching. For some strange reason, some people find that space in some leisure or addiction. Or relationship. But nothing can take that place. Only God can take that vacuum. Hallelujah. Have you seen a jigsaw puzzle? There is a certain part. That fits exactly where it's supposed to fit. You try and put anything else. It won't fit there. And that is exactly how it is. God has made our hearts. For him to reign in us. Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. God has made our hearts. Our hearts are like throne. And we must enthrone him. In our hearts. That's why Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Until they rest in him. What a beautiful statement that is. Amen? Amen? Okay, let's move on. So like I said, you know, they wanted more. They wanted a a a a deeper experience. They were saying, Lord, we've been with you. We understand you now. You know, I mean, imagine what would we give to even spend an hour with Jesus, right? (laughs) Today we would say, Lord, you show us you know, you be here physically and that'll be enough for us, right? But these guys had been with Jesus for three and a half years. So for them, it's like, you know, you we've been with you. But show us the Father. Show us the Father. That'll be enough. And uh, they basically were asking for a sign. Give us a sign. Now, what is wrong with a sign? Let me tell you uh, an example that I was doing this word and I thought of. Imagine you give a check, okay? Now, um, so let's say I have given a check to Suren. Okay, he's my good friend. So I say, Suren, I love you very much. Happy birthday. Here is a check of 5,000 rupees. Okay, <laughs> this is not prophetic. Okay, I'm just saying. And Suren says, thank you, Ralwai, Thank you. He takes the check. But you know what? I have not signed. It's not, There's no signature. Why do I need a signature? I love Suren. Suren knows my intent. I love him. I, if I've given him the check, obviously I want to bless him. But what will the bank ask for? The bank will insist on the sign. You know why? Because the bank doesn't trust me. And the bank doesn't trust Surin also. We both are we both are untrustworthy. They don't trust us. So they need a sign. The sign will show that this is this is I. It's a sign. You understand? I go and tell them, please do it. I'm requesting you. No, sir. We cannot. I am, I am um, I'm pleading with you. It's my account. It's my money, right? You give it to him. I have said to him, we need your sign. Hallelujah. Isn't that true? And that is exactly how our minds work. We don't trust anyone. Generally, we don't trust anyone. We need a proof. We need a sign. And this is where the problem lies. Here's the problem. You know, look at how Jesus responded when people said, give us a sign. Okay, you claim you are a Messiah. Can you give us a sign? And this is how Jesus responded in Matthew 16 verse 4. An evil and adulterous generation. My goodness, those are sharp words, right? An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. They kept demanding Jesus, if you are the Messiah, show us the sign. Show us the sign. Come on, prove. Prove yourself. And Jesus said, I'm not going to prove myself. The only sign I'm going to give you is I'm going to die and I'm going to rise rise from the dead. (laughs) Hallelujah. What greater sign would you need? Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you one sign. And that will be, I will conquer death. And I will be alive and you will know. That I, I will live forever and ever. Hallelujah, my kingdom will be forever. He said, but he makes a point. He says, an evil generation keeps asking for a sign. It's interesting The disciples had heard Jesus say this. And yet they go later and say, show us the father. That will be a great sign for us. That all that you're saying is true. We trust you. Don't feel bad. We trust you, Lord. But if you show us the father, then that is like a great sign for us. And, uh, you know, this This is, it also shows somewhere a lack of faith. Mark 6, verse 6 is a staggering verse that says, Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. This is not the disciples, the place where Jesus had performed miracles, his hometown, Jesus is talking of. They doubted Jesus. They heard of Jesus' miracle, but they said, no, no, that's not possible. We know him. He's grown before us. He's the carpenter's son. We know Mary. We, we know his brothers and sisters. So this guy can't be the Messiah. This guy can't be the Messiah. Listen, it's not fitting in. You know, it's not fitting in. And they lacked faith. And his Bible says Jesus was amazed. He was amazed at their lack of faith. You see, what happens is by nature. Now understand these two words. There is a word called nature. And there is a word called nurture. By nature, we are people who doubt. We are skeptical. You know, that, that's like very much in our veins, like blood runs in our veins, doubt runs in our veins. We doubt everyone, right? And uh, anybody will tell, and also the world is such now that, uh, you know, we, we, we tend to doubt everyone. We are not like, anybody comes and tells you, sir, aap lakh you doubt. Wait, how much do I have to pay for stelle vijayin? How much do I have to play? You know, it's probably unless Mr. Bachchan is sitting on a seat and tells you aap so much, then we might believe. You know, but by nature, we tend to doubt. Now, what happens is we've got to change our nature by nurturing it, by caring for it, looking after it. The way we judge people, and I'm not saying, you know, you you trust anyone blindly. No, 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 no. You know, the world is corrupt, and you've got to be sharp and shrewd. But let's not treat God the way we treat men. Understand? That is very important. There's a distinction between the way we trust God. Now, what happened in the first story? If you look at the story of Adam and Eve, the God said to them, eat of everything, but don't eat of this fruit or you will die. The question was very simple. Are they going to trust God for their word? Are they going to take God seriously for his word? Or are they going to doubt? That I'm not sure if he will die. In fact, on the contrary, it looks like he's hiding something from us. And then the, the serpent comes and endorses it, says, no, 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 you're not going to die. What rubbish. You know what? I'll tell you what. God knows. God knows that if you eat of this fruit, you will become like him. And that's why he's stopping you. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. So I'd say, go ahead and eat it. Now, Adam had to make a very clear decision. And Eve, you know, as a couple, they had to make a decision. Will we trust God or will we doubt? And unfortunately, they chose to doubt God. They chose to trust the serpent. And the serpent's words made, you know, more sense and more appeal. And they said yes. Probably if God has told us no, don't eat. Probably he has a hidden agenda. Imagine this is how they are thinking. God has a hidden agenda. He doesn't want us to be like him. He doesn't want us. And that's why He's He's, he's forbidden us to eat this fruit. And this is where they challenged God. You know? In their minds they said they, they rebelled against God. They disobeyed God. It all started with this thought. That God does not have uh, our best interest. In his mind, you see the disciples again later in Luke 24, where Jesus keeps telling them, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. And then he dies. And when he comes back, imagine what? they're still doubting. Look at this. He said to them, why are you troubled? John 14 started with trouble, right? These guys are still troubling from John 14 to Luke 24. They're still troubled. He says, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Now this is what happens. Understand, brothers and sisters, very carefully. When you are troubled, you will doubt. It is linked. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is not just telling like you, not telling you like just like another doctor or hey, attention mother, don't take stress. No, no, no. Jesus is saying understand. When you are troubled, it opens doors to other things and then doubts will come. And when doubts come, disobedience comes. So it's all linked. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And then he shows them. He now gives them a sign. He says, see my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus was casting their doubts out. Jesus was casting their doubts Brothers and sisters, let's guard our hearts and let us not doubt that God is good. Even in the midst of this pandemic, let's remember that God is a good God. Hallelujah. As we saw in worship, it's not over. It's not over. Hallelujah. He's still in control. Turn to someone and say, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Hallelujah. Trust in God, trust also in Jesus. Amen. Trust in God, trust also in Jesus. Trust in the Father and the Son. He will take care of us. I want to show you something and I'm going to end with this. Um, We people who live in the city, have you ever tried? Have you ever tried looking at the stars in the sky? There are no stars, (laughs) honestly. There are no stars, right? Right? Wrong. There are 2,500 stars that every human being can see with his naked eye at any given point. This is what the astronomers have come up with. At any given point, you look up and there are 2,500 stars minimum. That is what God was telling Abraham. Right? Look at the sky and what do you see? Many stars. Can you count them? He said, uh, I don't think that's going to be a good idea because there are too many. And Jesus, God said, you know, those many would be your descendants. So why is it? Why is it that we people who live in the city can't see stars? Why is it that when I look up in the night, I can't see it's there, but I can't see. I can barely see one, two, three, four. If I go on a skyscraper, I can probably see 10, 12. 12. this is what the astronomers say. There is a phenomena called light pollution. You can Google and check. There is a phenomena called light pollution. And I did a brief study on this. What is light pollution? The light pollution is very simple. There is so much light that we are surrounded with, especially in this city that we live in. It's like, you know, I mean, last night, Jeevan and I were walking in this comp- in our compound, in our society. And there was so much, there was so much of light around. There were these, you know, these small, beautiful uh, street lights that they put now in the garden. Then our... Um, there is the um, halogen there. So, so there was so much of light that you wouldn't feel dark at all. The whole compound was lit. The whole colony was lit. And that is what happens. No? Uh, you will see the lights from home, light street lights, these lights, those lights, holding lights. And these lights obstruct our view. These lights obstruct our view in such a way that we cannot see the star. This is called light pollution. I just like pollution. When you have pollution, you can't breathe the fresh air that is there. You can't breathe because there is it's mixing with the pollution that is there. This is simply like pollution. Now, why am I saying this? Because this is what happened, brothers and sisters. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Hallelujah. He is the shining light. But people can't see Jesus. Why? Why can't people see Jesus? Because there are too many artificial lights. There are too many artificial lights that are obstructing their way. There is the light of religion. There is the light of misconceptions. There is the light of doubt. All of this is there. And they get so caught up that they can't see the true light. And Jesus is the true light. He is the light of the world. Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Hallelujah. John 8 verse 12. Brothers and sisters, let's look to Jesus. Let's filter all these artificial lights that are there. Maybe the pandemic is a light that has caused us to doubt the goodness of God. Let's not be in that place. This is what Jesus said to Thomas. Thomas was missing when Jesus came and showed those marks to the disciples and then the disciples said, we've seen Jesus. You know, he said to us, it is I. And he took the bread and he ate and fish he ate. And Thomas said, "Uh uh-uh, you guys can't fool me. Unless I don't see Jesus, I won't believe. He also wanted an experience. He said, I I want an experience. And Jesus said, I'll give you one next Sunday. Next Sunday, Jesus comes. And this time, Thomas is with the the 10. And Jesus says, Thomas, here am I. You wanted to see, right? And Thomas says, Lord, I believe, I believe. Now I believe. And Jesus said, nah. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, what a great opportunity you and I have. That when we go up to heaven, we can put our hand on Thomas's shoulder and say, dude, I did not see and I believed. I did not see and I believed. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now we can be like Thomas. We can doubt saying, no, no, no. Till I don't see a sign. Till I don't see this. Till I don't see that. I am not going to believe. But brothers and sisters, when we, when the matter is with God, let's simply believe. Hallelujah. Knowing that he's a good God and he has good things in store for us. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. Remember, it's a wicked generation that asks for a sign. Don't go before God and say, Lord, uh, you know what? I need this sign. If, if this is the one for me, I need this sign. I need that sign. Rather say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I trust that you have good in mind. Next Sunday, we are going to continue and see Jesus' response. We will see what Jesus answered. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close with a prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are the light of the world. Lord Jesus, you have come to brighten our dark lives, Lord. Our lives were totally uh, in darkness. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come and changed our course from death to life, from hopelessness to hope, from eternal damnation to eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We believe in you, Lord. We believe in you. As your people, as your disciples, we say we don't need any sign. We don't need anyone to prove to us that you are good. We believe you are good. We believe your goodness and mercy endures forever. We believe your mercies are new every morning. We believe you are faithful to us. We believe that you will provide for us in the midst of this pandemic. You are watching over us We trust you and we glorify you, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen.